the voice of reason, the voice of alarm, the voice of stats, the voice of scouts, the voice of Kool-Aid, the voice of dismay, the voice of Davo. Well, this year didn't go quite like we planned, and certainly not as we hoped. It's Davo along with Clubhouse Conversation insider Jake Lutz. And we want to welcome you to our post-2019 season edition of The Dish right here on Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we talk Royals baseball all year round and catch up with your favorite current and former Royals players. So here we are, Jake, October the 8th, 2019. We had to let the offseason start for eight or nine days and and uh, put our ears close to our sources about the managerial search and let things marinate a bit. And here we are ready to recap the 2019 season. How's it going, brother? Going well, you know, enjoying the first few weeks of the off season. How are you doing? Oh, not bad. I had a, a couple box or a couple not boxes, a couple bowls of Mahomes Magic Crunch for dinner, so I feel good, man. <laughs> yes, and hopefully that'll help us out this uh, following week. You know. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We need some help. We. I'll ask you one Chiefs question at the very end. By the way, we'll get we'll get a little Chiefs chatter at the very Perfect. end of this. Have you tried the Mahomes Magic Crunch yet? By the way. Oh yeah, I've got I've got a box downstairs. Okay. All right. It's pretty maybe, good stuff. Maybe they lost Sunday because I didn't have a bowl on Sunday. Probably you, my fault. You know what's funny is that Raiders game a few weeks ago when they struggled in the first quarter. I'm not making this up. I End of the first quarter, commercial break, the Chiefs hadn't done anything, and I had Mahomes on my fantasy team that day on DraftKings. So I went, got myself a bowl of Mahomes Magic Crunch. First play of the second quarter, next play, it's a long touchdown pass. And we had, what, I think he had four touchdown passes and like 290 yards in the second quarter. It's all because of the cereal, Jake. <laughs> Of course it is. It's important you know that. Well, we got a lot to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about our 2019 Royals Awards, uh, get into the John Sherman purchase a bit, the Ned Yost retirement, who the Royals might replace Yost with, and lots and lots of other things. We'll talk about several players as well. I'll do little predictions and house cleaning stuff. But let's start with how 2019 wrapped up. So the Royals, Jake, you and I both were on record. We, we both had them around the mid-70s win-wise, which, man, do we feel foolish now. Um, but this is also before Salvador Perez got hurt, though, in fairness. But right. the Royals finish at 59 and 103. How much of a difference do you think Salvi would have made this year, Jay? Considering early on we blew so many games in April because of the bullpen and we were not scoring any runs and we were getting like what, like a 300 OPS, not average, but like OPS out of the catcher's position the first couple months of the year. Do you think he would have made at least four or five win difference in the season? Yeah, that, that's about it, though. I mean, four or five wins is what I was thinking because, I mean, you had Martin Maldonado handling the pitching staff, which was nice and I think helpful, but still he didn't really know the pitching staff that well, and I think it took some time to kind of get that relationship established the first couple months before he even got traded. So, yeah, I don't know how much it would have helped. Obviously the bat would have definitely been a, you know, a key, and I think you know his relationship with our pitchers would have probably helped him out maybe at the beginning, but four or five wins, you know, this, this team had a lot bigger issues than just the catcher position. Yeah, I do think they probably would have avoided 100 losses um, had Salvi played. So the Royals have the number four pick in next year's June amateur draft. So let's talk about how were the Royals this bad, Jake? 59 and 103. Nobody doubts they're a, they were a bad baseball team this year. I don't think anybody doubts that. But with that said, first of all, you have all those games. What, 18 games against Detroit? who you know, is the worst team in Major League Baseball. You had all those games. You had another eight team with the White Sox, who lost 90 games. I mean, then you have Jorge Soler leading the league in home runs, Witt and hits, uh, Hunter Dozier coming on big time, Alberto Mondesi leading the league in triples and stolen bases for a good majority of the season between injuries. How were the Royals this bad this year, Jake? Well, 
Well, well, we'll start with the lineup. You know, as good as that one through four, one through five was, the six and nine was that historically bad. I mean, you got absolutely nothing night in and night out of the plate from six through nine. And that was just brutal for this team. You know, nobody was ever on base for the top of the order. And if those guys in front of them got on, they couldn't bring them in. So that was a problem. You know, the starting rotation was inconsistent throughout the season, as we kind of expected. And then, you know, the bullpen, I mean, there wasn't really too many arms other than Barlow and Ian Kennedy at times you could rely on at all, night in and night out. So I think those are the main issues because, again, you had great production from the top four, top five of the order. And really, you know, they're a pretty good defensive team. It's not like they were giving up runs on airs or anything. They were excellent defensively. But it was just, you know, the pitching and then that just historically bad six through nine. There's no way the Royals should have been that bad, though. You're, you're right, though. But, you know, the six through nine and not having Salvi certainly, you know, the, the lineup's probably one through six. If you have him, you might be able to get by a little bit more. Yep. Um, but not having him and, and Jake, the bullpen, man, especially in the month of April, the Royals, you know, I, I should have done my homework more and, and gone back and looked at game by game log. But I want to say the Royals might have pushed 500 of the month of April had the bullpen been a little better. And who knows, Jake, how the whole season maybe goes a little bit differently. Um, if that happens, it didn't, but doesn't it seem like it's been two seasons ago since Boxberger pitched here and Willie Peralta and, and some of these guys that the Royals let go early. I mean, that was just a few months ago. Doesn't it seem like it's been like a year and a half ago since that happened? Yeah, it really does feel like it was years ago. I don't even want to think about those, those first few months of those guys pitching for us. Isn't this kind of like when you go back and, and think about like 2004 to like, I don't know, well, especially until like 2007 and eight, but like you, or even like the early, you know, Dayton Moore years when you had Willie Bloomquist and Mike Jacobs sitting clean up. Like, don't you look in Jose Guillen, don't you look back at those teams and say, man, I don't really want to think about that. It's depressing. How did I get through that? Is, is this one of those teams we're going to look back on and say, I don't want to even think about this team anymore? Yeah, I think so. Definitely pieces of it. I mean, it's, it's a little different. I feel like we didn't have this type of young talent, you know, at least it was exciting or guys leading the league and hits or True. runs. True. So it is a little, it's a little better, I would say, because there's a reason to go out to the ballpark, at least this year, at least in my opinion. But uh, yeah, there's certain definitely when you think back about April and May and about that bullpen and watching, you know, them blow leads every single night, it really was just, it had you thinking about like you were back in the mid 2000s watching the game again. Speaking of bullpen, Jake, I'm going to throw you a trivia question. I guarantee you won't be able to get both of these. Well, I shouldn't guarantee that. You might actually. You're pretty smart. Can you name, there were two two players on the Royals this year, both pitchers, obviously, and both relief pitchers. Both relief pitchers had a zero ERA this year. Can you name the two Royals pitchers at the Major League level or one of the two that had a zero ERA? <laughs> Probably not, no. We, okay, we well, had too many arms come through, so go ahead. <laughs> Chris Ellis, remember him? Yes. I, I actually, that, that name got brought up. Really, I was just scanning the stat sheet earlier, and I completely forgot about his, his brief appearance. Yeah, his one game. The guy, poor guy had a zero ERA, and they shipped him back, man. One game out the Rule yep. 5 pick. Made uh, no sense. Of course, you and I both thought Sam McWilliams was going to make the team preseason as well he ended up back in double a to end the year he didn't make the team but yeah so chris ellis had a zero era the other one was randy rosario who they picked up i think he pitched six games in the month of september that they picked up from the cubs the lefty randy rosario so there you go yeah. jake we did have a couple zero eras <laughs> this year for the royals all right give me a player on this team who far exceeded your expectations it can be a pitcher it can be a batter um i guess position player is what analysts call it not batter uh-huh. But, you know, give me a, a pitcher or position player that far exceeded your expectations this year. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Hunter Dozier, and I actually had decent expectations. I think that's one of the few things I actually predicted to write, which there wasn't much before the season. But I, I think I, I said that I thought he could hit 20 home runs this year, and he ended up hitting 26. So, I, you know, Hunter was – this was the year where we finally were going to get to see him start on the team opening day and actually see if he could be a legitimate third baseman or not. And I think that's one thing we definitely learned this year is that he's absolutely an everyday player and can be a really good one in the middle of your order. I mean, just the strides he took this year, both defensively and at the plate, I think, you know, um, it, it was great to watch. And I, he really, I think, surprised a lot of people with hitting for average and hitting, you know, 26 homers. And I, I think he was, at least for me, exceeded expectations more than anyone. So, Jake, where's his position? I mean, we saw McBroom play right field the majority of, of September, and, and Dozier didn't play near as much outfield. We saw him play outfield in August quite a bit. Is he a third baseman? Because I thought he made a lot of improvements at third base defensively uh, throughout the year. Now, is he a gold glover? No, but don't you think he's a league average defensive third baseman? Yeah, I, I think he's. I thought he was solid this year when he played third, and I didn't understand when they were moving him out there into right field. I, I don't need to see him play right field anymore. They've tried this a few times now, and it just – it just doesn't work. He doesn't look comfortable out there, and I don't think he's ever going to. I would rather just see him at third. And, again, you could play him at first at times, too. I think he's perfectly fine over there when needed. But third base is, I think, where he belongs and, and should be his position. How about Kelvin Gutierrez? That's a guy I wanted to talk about. Where does he fit in in the plans? Because it, it's a guy you mentioned. It, it, they probably have to move Dozier because Gutierrez's strength, obviously, is his defense more so than his hitting, although we mm-hmm. do see some upside with his bat. The gap power, I like what I saw from him, especially – early in the year, his first set up here. Where do you see Gutierrez fitting in going forward? I mean, yeah, I, I think he's better than Dozier defensively, and I, I was impressed with what we saw from his bat actually early in the year. I thought he had a pretty good-looking swing and a good approach. So, I mean, I think he's going to stick at third. I, I think I hope that we're done with the Chesler Cuthbert era because mm. I don't need to see him continue to play. I'd rather see those two switch off and Gutierrez maybe. I don't. I mean, I think he needs to get him every day at bat. So, I, I guess – Thinking about the structure for next year, I'm not sure what they do, but I feel like ideally going into the season, Dozier's got to be your third baseman in the major league level, and Gutierrez probably starts the year again in AAA. Yeah, I would agree. Probably probably a good way to start him in Omaha, and if he, if he really keeps hitting, then it's probably time to make a decision at that point. The Royals have interesting roster construction issues, Jake, because you know obviously Whit Merrifield, you got to have him in the in the lineup every day. You know, a lot of people think the Royals should trade him. There's very fierce beliefs and. And, you know, both sides have, have very valid points. There's there's valid points to trade him, and there's valid points to keep him. So I think you and I both are on record, if I'm not mistaken, saying it wouldn't be a bad idea for the Royals to move him if the offer is right, though. Is that is that what you agree with also? Yeah. No, I, I think if they got the right offer, if they got something that blew them away, a couple, you know, really top prospects in somebody's system, I think they should definitely consider it. With Considering his age, I mean, he had, don't get me wrong, he had a phenomenal season. I love with, love, I'd love to see him stay here. I just still don't know if he's going to be playing at his highest level by the time that contract's done and if he just by the time this team is actually competing I think you can probably get more out of them now by trading them than you can by keeping them around but again I've loved watching him play this year he was fantastic and um, I'll be interested to see if, if they I think if, I think they'll be willing to move him if they get blown away by an offer but again like Dayton said I think it's going to take you know some major league ready top prospects for them to do it. You're going to need two top hundred type prospects, maybe even uh, another prospect on top of that, a, a B level prospect on top of that. Agreed. But you're right, Jake. I mean, he's got. What do you think he has in his peak years? Two to three left, if all goes well, as far as being elite offensively for his position. Two or three more. Yeah, I think so. And 
I was going to ask your opinion on what you thought, because we already saw, I mean, still, he's, I, tell me wrong, he can still run the bases all in the staff, but we definitely saw the stolen bases decline this year, and he got thrown out a lot more than he has. And I don't know if that's just, you know, that just an off year or if that's, you know, him getting older now. <laughs> so, I think it's already was, him getting older, Jake. He was 20 out of 30 in stolen bases after leading the league the last you know couple of years before that. So I think you're right about that. I think you nailed that. I, th- I think he's lost just a hair. I, th- I think playing the outfield, we heard that he was struggling with some leg issues, um, some sore quads uh, throughout the year. And I think he was trying to conserve his legs, you know, doing all that extra running and having all that extra sprinting to do in the field that he wouldn't have done quite as much um, in the infield. So I think that played a role. But I think you're right, Jake. I mean, you, you look back at, remember how Asides Escobar used to be a borderline stolen base threat? And then, like, he lost it, like, overnight when he hit, like, that 30 31 season. And, and you know, even Alex Gordon used to be, a, a, you know, average base runner, maybe even slightly above average in his peak years. And we saw him lose it too when he hit 32 33. You know, so what's not quite that old yet, but I, I think it's fair that. Again, these are reasons why you could argue moving him and getting six years of two top prospects versus having Merrifield for two or three more years on a losing baseball team. Not only that, Jake, but my other question for you is where is Nicky Lopez going to play with Mondesi at short? You want to play McBroom or some other guys in right? You know, what's going to happen with uh, with Nicky Lopez, Whit Merrifield? How are they going to, you know, because I can't see Nicky Lopez at AAA next year. No, I don't think so either. And I guess that's, I mean, they're going to have to make a decision there because, yeah, you'll have Mondesi at short. And, I mean, I I, I like Witt at second base as well as you know, the best of any position we see him. I mean, yeah, you can move him around some and play him some and get Nicky some starts at second. But I don't know. I mean, I I guess you could see Nicky as just a utility guy off the bench. But at the same time, I also would like to see him get an everyday at bats as well because that's the only way he's going to continue to develop at the major league level. So, yeah, I, I am interested to see what they'll do next year. I mean, it's good that he got to play a lot this year, especially with, you know, uh, you know, the injury to Mondesi. So I, I think also him, I mean, I know you've heard that he said he's going on the Whit Merrifield, Alex Gordon diet this offseason <laughs> <laughs> to try to bulk up a little bit because that's really, I, I, I felt like he was really coming around at the end of the season at the plate. He just, I think if he could put on a little bit more muscle and get a little bit of more, just some, some type of pop to those gaps, I think you could see him be a lot more productive at the plate. So, He's a guy, again, I, I want to see every day in the lineup next year, but they're going to have to figure out a way to, to do it as far as how they'll position everyone. So, Jake, different positions, obviously. I'm not comparing them position-wise. Both left-handed hitters, both have that gap profile, both struggled a bit when they first came up, as most guys do. Do you see offensively a tiny bit of David DeJesus and Nicky Lopez? Yeah, I can see it. I can see it with his approach, yeah, and, and you know the way that he hits the ball to opposite field you know, pretty much every time he's up. I, I can definitely see it with the approach. Yeah, imagine if he could turn into that kind of offensive player playing the elite position up the middle and yeah, the defense, you know, well above average that he does. So let's get to our awards, Jake. Position player of the year. Who you got? So, you know, you know I feel like the obvious choice should be Jorge Soler, but mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go with Whit Merrifield and his 206 hits that he had this season because mm. I think, you know, this year, I, I, my prediction, I, I wanted him to get 200 hits so bad. And thats I don't think people realize how difficult that is to do. And he got 206 of them. It was a phenomenal year for him. Um, you know, 67 extra base hits this year. It's not bad for a leadoff guy. He had 41 doubles. He, you know, hit 16 homers this season. Only 20 steals is really the only part of his offensive game we were a little bit disappointed was, with was the steals. But... The fact that he played also in all, all 162 games, just impressive for him at the age. Again, I know we just talked about 
whether you move him or not. But regardless, I mean, he is the face of this team right now. He had another phenomenal season, played pretty much every position on the diamond. And, you know, it was just another great season for him. I mean, I, I don't think you can ignore how impressive that was to get 206 hits in one year. I'm glad you chose Wit because I chose Jorge Soler, Jake. I mean, the big numbers with him, first of all, everyone's going to talk about the 48 home runs, which gave him the Cuban record, uh, Cuban-born players, 48 home runs. So congrats to Jorge on that one. But 117 runs driven in, the 922 OPS. You made a mistake to him. It was a home run this year, Jake. And the two other things... Well, I'll give you the most impressive number to me, though, Jake, is 162, a guy that's been hurt his entire MLB career that we talked about before the year. We said it right here on Clubhouse Conversation that if he stays healthy, he will hit. Can he stay healthy? He did, mainly DHing, which is probably a good thing after we saw his attempt at robbing a home run at Yankee Stadium <laughs> earlier in the year. Uh, you know, maybe not those uh, jumping out of the gym, you know, but he doesn't have to. He hits the ball 900,000 feet. 48 home runs, 117 RBIs, 922 OPS, played all 162. And Jake, um, we saw Jorge Soler, uh, just the, the plate coverage, the, the plate approach, I should say, the plate approach was night and day better, right? I mean, laying off those breaking pitches, especially low and away, we saw much more professional bats this year, right? Oh, yeah. His, his discipline at the plate was phenomenal. He was drawing a lot of walks. And, again, like you said, he was not missing a mistake the entire season. Uh, he did not. I mean, if you put one over the plate, if you left it up, he, it was going out, and it wasn't just barely going out. I think I saw I think I saw stats somewhere where he'd hit, like, 16 home runs that were, like, over 420 feet or something, or 430 feet, which is just ridiculous. I, I mean, it, it was an unbelievable year. He was a reason to go out to the ballpark, even if you couldn't find another one, just to go out there and watch him and see if he could homer each night. Was, it, it was incredible to watch. I mean, we knew that he had this in him. He put it together. He was able to stay healthy and should have Royal fans excited for the coming years. Yeah, 48 home runs, Jake, and on a year when the ball was clearly juiced, like you said, he got the money's worth. He, he wasn't hitting too many paint scrapers. How many of those 48 no. do you think would have gone out like on a more neutral ball? Still 41 or 42 at least? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Because, again, like, yeah, he was never getting any cheap home runs. Very few of his homers this year were cheap. I, I need to pull up a break chart after this so I can look at all of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm guessing maybe more than that. I, I'm guessing maybe three or four wouldn't have been gone out on an average year with an average baseball. But when you're hitting the ball 420 feet consistently, I mean, those are home runs pretty much any year. Um, imagine him at Coors Field, by the way, what he would have done <laughs> this year. Um, yeah. You mentioned Whit Merrifield, also honorable mention to Hunter Dozier. Um, 26 home runs, 870 OPS, definitely would have hit 30 home runs. Well, not definitely, but probably would have hit 30 home runs had he not missed a couple of weeks there um, with the injury. Now, Jake, let's talk about pitcher of the year. And I'm going to be honest with you, I struggled on this. I mean, I guess getting back to my question, how are the Royals this bad? Well, um, the pitching obviously is, is a major culprit for that. Who do you got for pitcher of the year? I'm interested to see if it's the same person as me. Yeah, I was about to text you before the show and be like, are you sure I have to choose anyone for this? It was hard, man. It was hard. Yeah. I, you know, I, I ended up just going with Brad Keller. Okay. Um, and, and you know, it's not that he had a great year. The numbers are not going to, you know, they're not going to pop out at you. But he threw 165 innings, and he probably would have thrown 200 if this season would have meant anything. Mm -hmm. You know, they shut him down early because there's no point, again, to keep him going. I think it's smart for a guy with a young arm. but. It was more of just not necessarily the numbers because, again, you look at him, 6.6 Ks per 9A, that's you know, nothing that jumps off the sheet at you at all. 14 quality starts out of 28 was, was fine. Um, but I, I just feel like 
when he takes the ball, you're feeling pretty good that he's going to go out there and give you a chance to win the game. And that's what he did most of the time when he took the mound. And that's two years in a row that he's pretty much able to take the ball every fifth day and do that. So, you know, we were so excited about last year, and we both thought there was a little bit of regression coming. And it was slight, but it wasn't bad. Um, I, I feel like, again, he, he's not, he hasn't really had any injuries. He's continuing to go out there every day and throw and give you a chance to win. And I think he's proved that, you know, even when this team is competing and you know all the big arms that are coming up, he can still be a solid part of that rotation. He's not an ace, but I think he's a guy who slots in as, you know, a number three or number four starter on a, on a solid baseball team. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. And and with Keller, too, um, it's a guy that should be able to push 180, 190 now that, you know, you don't want to jump a guy's innings by more than 20% typically, but a guy that should be able to get up there more towards that number. And Jake, something else important, you, you nailed it right there, bringing up, um, you know, Brady Singer, Jackson Coar, Lynch, some of these guys coming up. There's so many of them. Boobitch, you can go, we can talk another 20 minutes about the prospects coming up, but important to note that Keller Jake is only a year older than most of those guys too. So, I mean, yeah. imagine if he was at triple a right now, how excited people would be. He's up here though, at the major league level already two years. in. I think that's important to note. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The fact that he already has, you know, two full years, pretty much of starting experience you know, at, at that young of an age, it, it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So my pitcher of the year, I went with Ian Kennedy, um, a three, four, one ERA. I know that's kind of not great for a closer. And I know ERA is not really, it's a, it's an archaic stat to measure relief pitchers. I get that, but just to keep it basic here, three, four, one across 63 appearances over a K per inning, um, 30 saves. I thought Ian Kennedy had a really nice year, Jake, especially his first year as a, as a major league closer and not having a single save coming into this year. The Royals have him signed for one more year. And, uh, you know, for a good amount of change, and that's not a guy that's going to get moved this winter. He's owed too much money. But that could be a guy that the Royals could trade at the deadline next year if they covered maybe half of that, whatever, $7 million or so it would be that they, that they owe him at that point. That could be a guy that could get them a pretty good prospect, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, that's what I was happy with about his season. He proved that he can, you know, close out games. I mean, he was solid throughout the year. Um, you know, the strikeout numbers were good as well. So, I think he. I think teams this year will obviously no one wanted to take on that salary, and the Royals would have had to eat a big chunk of it if they would have gotten rid of him at the deadline. But I think also teams wanted him to probably prove that he could actually be a productive pitcher out of the pen and to close games out. Now he's got a year of that on his resume. If he starts off and has another hot year, if he starts off April May and has is doing a good job closing out for this team, there will definitely be a lot of interest for him at the deadline, and the Royals could probably get back a pretty good prospect if they are willing to you know take on some of that salary. Rookie of the year for the Royals this year. Who do you got? So, and I don't know if you can consider him a rookie because he threw 15 innings last year, but I'm going to say Scott Barlow because he was really the only other good piece of this bullpen. And I know he had his struggles at times, but 92 Ks and 70 innings really pop off the page to me. I mean, he, there was back in, I believe it was April and May, there was a time where he was dominant and then guys kind of started to catch up to him, you know, and he, had a brief stint, I believe, in the minors. and But I felt like he was the one guy in the pen you could bring in in a situation, and he felt confident that he could at least get you a strike out there. Uh, I feel like he had too many walks. Um, 38 walks this season is not what you want to see out of a guy. You know, you're kind of on to come in and get a, to get a big out. So the walks were an issue, but, again, I, I feel like just, just it was more of even just the eye test watching him. He's got the stuff to get strikeouts. And he's got the stuff, I think, to be, you know, a seventh or eighth inning guy. So, to me, that was encouraging enough. It was one of the few encouraging signs out of the bullpen. So, I gave him the rookie of the year for this season. The one I went with, I'm glad. We're, we're different on all of these, by the way. And this is not planned. Some radio shows no. are like, okay, Johnny, you say this. Okay, and I'll say this. No, we didn't. This was all, you no. know, not 
talked about. But I went with Josh Stamont um, for my rookie of the year. 16 appearances, Jake. We love the way. I mean, 372, again, I know it doesn't really matter for relievers. I know that's not all that great for a reliever. Uh, but the fact that you mentioned the eye test and the stuff, it's it's definitely there for Stamont, a guy that sits in the upper 90s, can touch 100 on times, 9,900. Um, from time to time. I don't know if we saw him hit 100 at the major league level. Did we? I think it was more 98-99. But a guy that sits there in the mid to upper 90s and, and can touch near 100, filthy hammer when it's going. Walks always have been an issue with Stamont. Um, and really, they weren't the first, what, 9-10 of his appearances, but then kind of the back half. He pitched 19 innings. The back half, we saw him regress a bit with the control. Um, so that's something. I think the Royals can work with him, though, on that. I think he's definitely got closer and or back end of the bullpen potential along with your Barlow. And another guy that's not a rookie, but I do want to give a shout-out. There was one other guy who ended up being pretty good out of the pen, and that was Tim Hill um, as the year went on. A guy that really struggled the first couple of weeks. Him and Kevin McCarthy both couldn't find the strike zone the first couple of weeks, which was alarming because those guys have struggled you know, from time to time in the past. They might have been hit or miss, but they weren't guys that were going to walk the whole stadium like they were this year in April. But uh, – uh, a testament to both of them, McCarthy and especially Hill, for coming back up and, and turning things around uh, later in the year. And I think Tim Hill, it'll be interesting to see with this Lugie rule kind of going away now where you have to see three batters unless the inning ends. Um, I think people are overstating that a little bit because, again, you can still bring a guy in with two outs. If he's got one or two lefties coming up, you know, that, that rule's gone once the inning ends, a three-batter minimum that goes into effect next year. And, and the 26th yeah. man could also help somebody like Hill as a lefty specialist or, you know, there's pinch running specialists like Gore. There's some certain guys that have roles in the team that will be benefited by the 26 man. I, I think Hill, and he's not strictly a loogie at this point, but obviously a guy that's very tough on lefties. If he hits the zone, Jake, I, I think he's a, a, a definite possible piece of the, of the future bullpen. You agree? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I like what I saw from him this year. And, you know, again, he's mainly, you know, going to be just a specialist against lefties, but, you know, we've, we've seen, at least this year, Ned would leave him in to face several batters at times um, and right-handers. And, again, that arm angle, extremely tough on lefties. So I think there will still be a spot for him, especially with this bullpen right now, and a, a chance for him again to start the season on the on the uh, you know 26-man roster and have a chance to you know, prove himself that he can be part of the pen. Now, before we get to John Sherman and Ned Yost, Jake, let's talk a bit about the offseason here. First of all, the million-dollar question, will Alex Gordon play one more year? I, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know, have a clue if he's even made a decision or, you know, decided anything. I, I think he will play one more year. I think he had too good of a season not to. And, again, it wouldn't surprise me at all. He, you know, he's the type of guy who, he, 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 as much as we want to, you know, honor him out at Coffin Stadium, I don't think he's, you know, looking for, you know, everyone to come out. And that's not something that's on the top of his list that he needs to be, you know, applauded for a full season or announced that it's his last year. Um, but so it wouldn't shock me if he, you know, decides that he's happy. You know, he's made his money. He's won a World Series. You know, he's got young kids and a family. But also, he had such a solid season that I mean, I, I, I think he's going to come back and play one more year on maybe you know just a one-year, four or five million dollar deal and see how he feels after this season. Yeah, I, I agree. Two two points on what you just said. Number one, I agree. He's not the kind of guy that's going to go out of his way to say it's his last year and want a standing ovation, you know, when he goes to the AL Central yeah. ballparks the last time. And, you know, I, I, I maybe deep down he wouldn't mind that, but that's certainly not the top of his list. He's not a guy that's looking for attention like that. But wouldn't that be nice, though, Jake, you know, as diehard fans of this organization to let him have that? I mean, I, I think that's something very important. And number two, my other point um, with Gordon coming back, here's a, this is a, you know, almost like a, you know, a, 
and JFK, you know, theory, everyone's got these theories that are out in left field or, you know, Patriots, Spygate theory, everyone's got these theories that aren't true. But could a little bit of the Royals really wanting Alex Gordon back be because they want to trade with Merrifield and they still need a couple, you know, fran- faces of the franchise. Salvi will be back, Gordo back, and, you know, Mondesi Dozier. That would help maybe a little bit with, you know, the fans. Am I overthinking that or is that maybe 2% of the reason they want Gordon back just in case they decide to move on from Witt? I mean, I, I guess I, I hadn't thought about that, but, I mean, it does make sense because, you know, you still have, even if you did trade Witt, you still have the veteran presence of Gordon out there, you know, and, and you know, a fan favorite, and you have Salvi. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I could see I could see where, the, where that could be a possibility, I guess. Um, but I don't know. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, uh, bottom line, I, I think he's going to come back and play. Yeah, my, my money is strongly on him coming back. Um, next season. We'll just leave it at that on that. Now, the next thing, John Sherman's thoughts on spending, Jake. We don't know those yet, um, but I do think everyone knows the Royals are anywhere from two to four years from competing. Now, when I say competing, I don't mean winning the championship. I mean two to four years from playing 500 or better. If you're playing 500 or better, you're competing with two wild cards now in modern day of baseball, especially with AL Central being pretty much up for grabs. Um, maybe not next year, but in the coming years. Cleveland's getting towards the end of their run, obviously, if, if not at the end of it. Minnesota probably reigns as the superior team for another year, but the White Sox have some, obviously, some very nice pieces coming up. Um, but, you know, probably, Jake, the Royals two to four years away from competing again in this division. Probably not going to be a lot of money spent on free agency. Um, Sherman will be coming in early November, so he obviously does get pretty much the full winter, and he obviously has been talking with Dayton Moore, and, and you know, for longer than any of us realize, obviously. Uh, but what kind of moves could you see the Royals making? I, I, or maybe the better question is what areas realistic, Jake, we're not going to go out and, and throw four years and 60 million at somebody this winter. You know, is it mainly just the bullpen? Are, are you bringing in somebody to compete uh, a bat to compete at first base, maybe a, a right-handed type bat to compete with O'Hearn? Um, you know, what, what, you know, we're on the, we're on this roster because you're pretty much set at catcher and backup catcher. You've got good utility guys. Uh, maybe a starter. I mean, you know, starting pitcher. Where do you see the Royals going? Yeah, I'll start with position players again. I, I bet they only signed probably like one or two guys. And and honestly, yeah, I think maybe someone who can play first base or maybe someone who can play both first base and corner outfield slot would maybe make sense. Uh, you know, to compete with O'Hearn or a guy like Big Broom. But I, again, I, I don't see much more than that. I don't think they're going to go out and get any. Like last year, you know, we go out and get Billy Hamilton. I just I don't see the need to go out and get a center fielder when you need to see what you have with Brett Phillips and Bubba right now. So I, I think it's going to be very maybe just one or two guys for position players, you know, on one year deals. And then I think you're kind of looking at the same thing for the starting rotation. I, I think they'll probably try to get some again one or a guy or two on a one year deal to bring in um, who they can maybe you know flip just. Again, very low-end signing, kind of like someone like a Homer Bailey, which worked out so well this year. And I think you'll probably see them do that as well with bullpen arms. I think they'll probably bring in at least two guys into the pen because, you know, pen desperately needs help. And, you know, that's that's an easy way to flip someone. So I I would say you're going to see maybe a a couple, like, again, these are just very low-end signings, and I'm not going to bring any big names. But a couple starters, a couple pen guys, and probably just one or two bats. Now, you mentioned um, several things right there, but as far as, as bats go, Jake, let's talk about Ryan McBroom. What do you think? What did you see from him this year? I mean, I 
again, I, when, I was really excited when I saw the, the deal was made, just looking at his minor league numbers, you know, the power in the minor leagues, which we didn't, you know, see him really hit any homers this this September. He almost hit three of them in Minneapolis, three off the top of the wall. <laughs> yeah, I was say, but I, that, I, I saw his swing. He was hitting, for, hitting doubles, hitting gaps. He's got a powerful swing. I'm not concerned at all about the power at the major league level. It's definitely going to come. It's going to be there. He's, he's got a really good-looking bat. Um, you know, I like that he can play, you know, a couple different positions, corner outfield and first base. I was impressed. Um, I, I'm excited to see more of him. I, I think he needs to be on, on the major league roster next year and getting, you know, at least you know, splitting the at-bats if they're not going to bring anyone in with, with O'Hearn, kind of like they did at the end of the year. That's what I'd like to see at the first base. But I was impressed. I thought that's you. I, I, I like what I saw. Yeah, I mean, the age being 27, he's a little bit older. So, yeah, it's now or never um, with him. You need to see him at the major league level. And I'd be totally fine with him and, and O'Hearn competing for the first base job and or a platoon because I certainly have not given up on Ryan O'Hearn either. Um, but if you look around the, the field, there aren't really too many other spots that you feel like you need to add to offensively other than maybe a bat that can play first base and a corner outfield. Like you said, you've got Soler locking down the D8 spot. You're set at catcher. You're set up the middle. you got Dozier at third or if you want to go Gutierrez. You know, probably Gordo's coming back. Um, you know, and you mentioned a couple guys at center field, Jake. I'm not totally sold, though, on Phillips or Starling being part of the Royals' future. I mean, don't you think they would have played them a little bit more down the stretch? I'm not either. I, I yeah, I watching them at both at the plate is, is pretty frustrating. They just don't look like guys who are developing very well at the major league level to play. They both look pretty lost. Uh, you know, I, again, I, I got kind of excited about Brett Phillips again because he was tearing it up in AAA this year, and then, you know, he comes up to the big league level and just really struggled again. Uh, you know, the strikeout numbers have been insane with him. So I've been, you know, I was I was higher on him, you know, possibly being part of the future than I was for for Bubba, but I'm I'm not high on either of them right now. Yeah, I'd certainly lean Phillips because the defense is just elite. I mean. The defense is out of yeah. this world out there. And, and a guy that is above average runner, I mean, you know, the 26th man we talked about, I, I think Phillips has a pretty good chance of being on the big league roster next year, much more so than, than Bubba Starling. I'm not sure Bubba Starling ever really sticks as a major league player. I think Phillips offers you more um, than Starling does. They're both great defensively. Bubba's great defensively too. But I, I think, you know, I think, would you, do you think Phillips is a little bit better defensively? I mean, it's, it's a fair question. I do, yeah. Phillips plays an elite center field. I mean, he's phenomenal out there, and I, I just want his bat to come around so bad. Even, even I just want it to come around even enough for him to just stick at the major league level, even if he's not an everyday starter. If he right. can even be your fourth outfielder who comes off the bench with speed and comes in, you know, plays a couple days a week, starts and comes off for defense in the eighth inning. Like, even if he could just get to that, I, I, I you know, his sole focus should be on hitting, you know, all off season because. There's no work that needs to be done in the field. He's phenomenal out there. Imagine if his bat could even be like Paulo Orlando. Obviously, one's a righty, one's oh, yeah. a lefty. One's got more pop than the other. But, uh, you know, uh, even a, a bat like that where he could be a, a very good fourth outfielder. Jake, heck, even a guy that's horrible for the White Sox that they keep playing, I keep thinking of Adam Engel. He's a much better defensive player than Adam Engel. But, you know, even if he can upgrade his bat to that level, which isn't asking that much. Cause <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> By the way, how many more years are the White Sox going to run Yolmer Sanchez out there? Has that guy been? Is he? I have a lifetime contract to be horrible and play every day for the White Sox. I think so. Yeah, he, he he's always on that opening day roster every year. Yeah, <laughs> on the roster all year. So. Yep, death taxes and Yolmer Sanchez playing and hitting ninth for the White Sox. Or sometimes they let, they let him off one game in September. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so here's some other questions for you. Long term deals, Jake. 
Um, let's talk this. Mondesi, just 24 years old, does have an injury history, has never really stayed healthy during his professional career for a full season. So let's note that. Let's also note his vast upside. Um, you got Hunter Dozier, who's 27. You have him, what, four more years before he's eligible for free agency. Jorge Soler, and what? Does he have three more or two more? Two, I think he has, what, two more, right? Two more, free yeah. Agency. He's 26 years old. Should have checked the service time before we went on here. But um, Mondesi at 24, Dozier 27, Soler 26. Talk to me about those three. Which of those three prioritize signing those guys, Jake? And let's say buying out one of their free agent years, you know, finishing up their arbitration years, buying out one free agency year. Um, prioritize those guys one through three. Rank them for me who you would sign. I mean, the, the guy, I, I still think the guy you focus on, number one right now, getting signed long term is, is Mondesi. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I think that it, I think it's probably the time to do it now before he, because one of these years, if they don't do it, he's going to go out there, he's going to stay healthy, and he's going to show how ridiculous his upside can be. You know, he's going to steal 60 bases and then also hit 20 home runs. And I mean, the, the, the numbers could be off the charts if he actually stays healthy. So, He's the guy I'd prioritize because I think you could get him a more club-friendly deal, you know, in the next year than you if, if he goes out and shows out next year. You know, it's going to be a lot harder to come to terms with that. Uh, he's probably going to want a lot more money. So he's the guy I'd prioritize right now, I think. You know, I'm, I'm not too worried about, about Dozier since we have control of him for so long. And then I don't know. But I, I think I'd prioritize Blair probably number two because, again, I, I, I would be interested in a long-term extension with him right now. I don't, I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I do think so. I, I think that if he's willing to DH, and, and some guys can't handle DH and Jake, you've got some guys like, I mean, Billy Butler was a good DH for several years, but he also said he, you know, he hit better when he played the field. And some guys have trouble keeping their head in the game when they don't do anything for 45 minutes or whatever it is uh, between at bats. But he seemed to really take to it fine. I think he's can stay healthy if you DH him. And if he's, if he's mm-hmm. cool with that and they'll stick him in that spot, you know, 95% of the time, um, or well, he'll stay healthy. He's still only 26, and I don't think the power was yeah. fake. So I'd be fine with them. Uh, my question is, is he going to be willing to do that? Um, you know, because uh-huh. he's not that far off from free agency. He already signed a club-friendly deal once with the Cubs. That's how the Royals have this, where he can he can opt out of this current club-friendly deal and go back to arbitration. So this is a guy that already did the whole club-friendly thing once, Jake, which makes me wonder if he's willing to do it again. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. It's true, and and. Maybe he's the guy you need, and I don't know if he'd do it again, but maybe he's the guy you need to be talking to this offseason about, you know, possibly getting a couple more years, go ahead and extend them a couple more years. Because, again, after this fall, this season, I mean, you want those numbers again here. And, I, I, I don't, again, if you wait longer, he does this again, he may not be willing to accept, you know. Oh, no chance next year. He'd be one year away from free agency <laughs> yeah. at that point. Yeah, he's, he's, he's going to go out and, and see if, you know, again, there's a lot, a lot of premium power hitters in the league right now, so I, they're not getting what they used to. But still, I, I think he would still be looking to to go elsewhere, and some, someone will give him some money. I mean, it's a guy that could have another six or seven years putting up these kind of numbers. I mean, again, different kind of hitters, but you know, I think of like Nelson Cruz type power when I look and yeah. look at how old Nelson Cruz is. I mean, they they both have had injury problems. They both kind of. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's not a great comp. I haven't really ever thought about a Jorge Soler comp, but that's the kind of career I could see Soler having as my point, where that power lasts well into his his mid thirties. So that would that would be a guy I wouldn't be scared of going like four years on. But my my thing is he's probably either going to want arbitration for two years to become a free agent, or he's going to want like six years at like major above market value. I feel like. Um, so I, I don't know that I commit for six, but I think I would do four 
you know, three or four, if he'd be willing to do that. Um, We talked about McBroom. Jake, tell me about the backup catcher next year. The Royals have a gazillion phenomenal catching prospects throughout their entire minor league system. You can literally go through almost, I think, literally every minor league roster um, or every single affiliate, I should say. Even out of Burlington, you had a kid named Logan Porter just mashing with like 1,100 OPS, who's probably not a major league catcher. Would be probably a first baseman if he ever makes it up here. But you go through... Idaho Falls had a stud kid, and you have, of course, uh, Sebastian Rivero, who we interviewed here on Clubhouse Conversation, and MJ Melendez there at High A, and you go up and you had your Deanies, and uh, Valoria spent a good majority of the year down there, and, you know, on and on and on. There's just catching prospects everywhere in the system, but the main two you would think, or the main three that would you know, be going for it next year would be Cam Gallagher, Mibris Valoria, Nick Deany. Tell me who the backup catcher is next year on opening day. Probably Cam Gallagher. Mm-hmm. I, I think... I think Valoria, I mean, I feel like, I mean, he keeps jumping levels like crazy. I feel like he needs to start in AAA and be catching, you know, pretty much every or six days a week, five, six days a week there starting every day. Because I still think he's got a pretty good bat, but he just needs to continue to develop a little bit more. And he needs to be in the lineup, you know, as the premier catcher there every day. So, I mean, he was, in, he was you know, playing for Northwest Arkansas for 60% of the season. So, I think he needs to be down there in AAA. I, I think Deany as well. You know, he did some good things. But I think Cam Gallagher for now is this team's backup catcher, you know, at least to start off the year. What about Nick Deany? Is he going to stay in the 40-man roster, or is that more of a by-desperation emergency um, and, and they see him as an organizational guy? Because, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because he did – I mean, he did look like he played the part as a backup major league catcher. A guy that's never going to start at the major league level, but, you know, a catch and throw guy that has a little bit of pop in his bat, you know, we've always known he has a little bit of pop in there. Um, you know, Nick Deeney, Jake, is he a guy that I feel like he would probably get claimed if they took him off the 40, but do they want to have a spot on the 40 for another catcher? Um, you know, because they'll already have three. That's four catchers in the 40. Do you, do, you really, do you really want four catchers on your 40-man roster? Because Salvi has to come off the 60 next year. Gallagher and Valoria, obviously, are on the 40s. So and the Royals don't have a shortage of spots. I mean, there's plenty of guys they can jettison. There's a good six to eight guys that you could take off the 40 right now that really wouldn't matter. Um, but is he a guy that keep on the 40 all winter, do you think? I, I, I feel like somebody's got to be the odd man out here. I, I just don't see him keeping four on the 40 again. I guess they could, but I, I don't know if that's the best, you know, construction right now for this team to have four catchers in the 40. So, I feel like they're probably going to make a decision, you know, on which guy they think they really want to be the back of catcher with Gallagher or Deeney. And with, you know, one of them is probably going to be the odd man out where I feel like Deeney, I, I would say, is probably the, the more, uh, the, probably the obvious candidate to be the odd man out. Yeah. I mean, Gallagher's obviously superior defensively. Deeney probably a little bit better bat, but I don't even think Gallagher can hit a little bit. Um, when you mm-hmm. compare it to some of these other horrible backup catchers around the Major League Baseball, I mean, how do these guys like Jeff Mathis have been? You know, he'll catch till he's like 75. Like some of these guys, you know, you, you go around the league and, and there's some interesting characters that continue to have long careers. Yeah. It's a very profitable thing. It's kind of like being a good backup quarterback. Like the quarterbacks that retire, most of them at 33, but somehow Charlie Batch plays till he's like 50, <laughs> right? You know, it's weird yeah. how that works out sometimes. Um, okay, so let's get to David Glass selling the team. To John Sherman, were you surprised with this, Jake? And what are your thoughts and, uh, and and excitement level on John Sherman? You know, I was surprised. I mean, I guess maybe we shouldn't have been surprised because you know, Mister Glass is is getting older, and you know. But I think a lot of people thought that maybe he would just you know keep the team and the family afterwards. I I never had really 
I hadn't really thought about it actually during this year. I we're we're so concerned with you know thinking about all year. Well, is Matt coming back? Is Gordon coming back? Those are kind of the things that run through your mind. Where it, it was a little bit of a surprise when when the news came out. But um, you know, I, I think Mr. Sherman is is the right is the right man for this. I, I'm excited that he's you know a Kansas City guy. You know, hearing the stories about him being at the at the 2015 World Series, you know, it's, it's hard not to get excited about, you know, an owner who, you know, loves the team and wants to see the team succeed. And, again, I, I don't think we'll see much of a difference, you know, especially for a few years. The difference will be probably what he does when this team is ready to compete. But I, I'm excited that it's the Kansas City guy. I, I think that's, you know, the most important thing. It's not going to be a guy who's, you know, looking to move the team or anything like that. So I, I think we're in good hands. 100% agree with everything you just said. I'm also excited to see what ends up happening with the Royals TV deal. They're looking around $52 million a year, it sounds like, is what they're hoping to get. So we'll see if they stay with FSN and, and, and what ends up happening um, with that as well. That's some more news. It's really a busy offseason with that going on, the Sherman and, and the TV deal. And, of course, you mentioned it, Ned Yost walking away were you surprised he walked away because at the start of the year i thought i really thought that ned would say one more year i mean maybe he's not i guess i was wrong about that i, I miscalculated i thought maybe he'd want the attention and, and just give everybody a one-year send-off but again maybe that's just how we think right maybe guys that are in it just don't want that and, and don't want that attention and don't aren't wired that way but were you surprised at all that that he decided to walk away at the end of this year i thought he would come back one more year what are your thoughts I was with you. I, I thought he was going to do one more year. I think we both were kind of on the same page before the season, just because I, I thought he would want to see this rebuild. You know, I didn't think he was going to be here, you know, for more than probably two more years. That's kind of what I was thinking. One or two more years is what he had left, but I thought he wanted to see it, the rebuild, kind of all the way through. But it, it doesn't surprise me. I think he got to the point where he's, you know, probably just tired. You know, it's, after he probably realized he's satisfied with what he's done, he's gotten. I think he was, in, again, he said he was so happy with some of the, you know, pieces that we have on this team that he feels like he's leaving in good hands. And there definitely are those pieces. Again, there's still a long way to go. They need a lot more pieces to add. But um, I, I, I was definitely caught a little, you know, just like the glassings, I was a little bit surprised. But I, I, I wouldn't say quite as shocked as I was by, by the glassings coming out. So, you know, I, I agree with you on everything you said. It, it appeared Ned was just tired. I think I think that's a good way to put it. He knew he'd put in all this time. He wanted to spend more time with his wife, Debbie, and go back there, um, obviously, to the Atlanta area. Um, we all know about his, uh, his, uh, his love for the outdoors. So I think Ned's earned that and good for him, and we appreciate all he gave to the organization. He goes down as the best skipper in club history. I mean, you have to look at the numbers and, and what he was able to deliver going to back-to-back -back World Series and, and winning the championship and, and seeing through – one rebuild and, and at least half to two thirds through another one, which hopefully ends up being just as fruitful as the previous one, Jake. So, um, you know, good for him. You know, if, if, if it's time to walk away, it's time to walk away. And and I, I thought it was nice seeing the peace he had in his heart at the end too, on the last homestand when he was talking to media, just, just hearing him talk about how they asked him, are you going to miss this? Oh God, no. You know, it was like, he, he just was, was at peace. He was like, you know, I, I love this for a long time. I love the city, but you know, it almost made it sound like maybe even a year or two ago he was thinking hard about this. I mean, we know he was, but like, it almost seemed like maybe he hung on a year or two longer just for Dayton and his adoration for Dayton and the Glass family. You know? Yeah, I think so. I think so, and I and I I agree with you, Pat. It, it was great to see him. You know, just <laughs> with the media interacting the same way that he has the whole time. <laughs> you know, it, it was it was funny to watch the it was the press conference. It was great to see you know the last game kind of go similar to a lot of games that we saw when the team was really good and to have them to get a walk-off win for him in his last game. So 
you know, and, and it was great to see that, yeah, he's definitely at peace with, you know, there's no regrets at all for him. He's, he's at peace and ready to, ready to move on to the next part of his life. So I, I, I'm really happy for Ned. And again, we, we're all very appreciative of what he did during his time here. Well, two last questions for you, Jake. One about the Royals and one about the Chiefs. Let's finish off with the Royals right now. Managerial search. So the main two names you hear, obviously, Mike Matheny, former manager um, of the Cardinals, currently a special assistant uh, to the GM, just like Ned Yost was uh, before Ned took over for Trey Hillman. Um, so you got him, and then Pedro Grafal seems to be the other name you hear the most, internally at least. Um, you got those two. You do hear a little bit about Dale Swim and Vance Wilson, and and uh, you know some people even have, have said Mike Jerschley on Twitter as well. So you you know you got four or five. Jerschley is not being considered. I don't believe that Swim is being considered. I don't believe that Vance Wilson is probably being considered. I, I think it's down to those two in house. Two two questions for you on this, I guess. First question is: Do you think this ends up being in house? I do. Yeah. I think it does, just because I feel like we would have heard more if they were talking, and maybe maybe they're still trying to figure out if they're going to look at out-of-house candidates, but I would bet my money on an in-house candidate. Okay, number two, so there, there's no names out there that you think they might look at? You know, we're, obviously we're not going to get Joe Madden and some of these other names, and, you know, uh, what's his name? Osmos isn't coming here, some of those guys. I mean, I, I wish they would look at a guy like Raul Ibanez. <laughs> I would love to have him just because, you know, he was on this team. Or Clint Hurdle. Yeah. Yeah, like a, a guy like that. I mean, you know, I guess those are probably the two names I'd look at. Yeah, it's Hurdle as well for out of, uh, out of house. But I, I don't know. I just don't see. I think they want someone who's really in touch already with the organization and the minor league system. I will say that I think some of the criticism by Royals fans towards Mike Matheny is very unfair. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people can grow and learn from situations and, and – you know, number one, we only know what the media wants us to know and what's limited been leaked. I mean, we don't know everything that went on in the clubhouse. I, some of that could have been an exaggeration with the Jordan Hicks and all the picking on young players and encouraging the veterans to bully. And, um, you know, so is some of that true? Probably, because usually when there's smoke, there's fire. But A, people can learn and grow from things. But B, we don't know the whole story and exactly what went on. And I, I don't think Dayton Moore, I trust Dayton Moore enough with character. I don't think Dayton Moore would... Uh, a, bring him into the organization in that kind of role, but B, consider him for the manager, um, if not. I mean, do you agree? I mean, do you, do you have a preference between Matheny and Grafal? Because the Grafal thing, I kind of lean him, Jake, just because I'd like to see him rewarded. Now, the, the argument can be made he's never been a manager above high A, right? But you look at the guy, he's very analytical. I like that he's very analytical driven, which is kind of where baseball's headed. Um, it's a guy that Jorge Soler owes an, a lot of his success to with hooking him up with a, with the hitting coach down in Miami that Grafal knew. Um, Grafal is great. He's bilingual. Um, great baseball man. Very intelligent. Um, very well respected. I think he'd be a, a great... That's who I would go with if I was the Royals. Do you have a preference between the two? And, and would you be okay with Matheny? So, I actually I actually prefer Mike Matheny. Do you? Actually, I, yeah, I... I I, I'm leaning. I mean, I, my money is on him, and I also I think he's the better, better option. Just because, again, like you, you hit it on the head. I, I don't believe in, you know. I I think everything was a little overblown. You know, there was obviously some issues with the clubhouse there in St. Louis. I get that, but you know, when when Ned Yost was with the Brewers, there were a lot of issues in the clubhouse. It, it really reminds me a lot of the situation of kind of a similar situation when Ned Yost got fired by the Brewers during the playoff race. It, it reminds me of that and. I think Matheny is probably, it's been, you know, a year and a half. I think he probably learned a lot from this first round of managing experience. 
um, because he was very successful uh, successful there for you know quite a few years with the Cardinals. And I know that this is a completely different situation that he'd be walking into. I mean, that team was coming off of a World Series when he took over and had a loaded roster, so it's definitely going to be different for him if he was taking over this Royals team. But I still think that he's learned from his mistakes. I think that his track record as far as winning, uh, you know, that, that gets me excited. And I, I think it would, it would go much better this time. Again, you know, everyone can have their concerns about possible character issues, but I think he's probably learned from those mistakes. And I think a second chance, I, I'm just, just the managerial experience that he already has compared to Griffal is why I think I mainly prefer him. You don't think this? I just thought of this right now on the spot. I don't know why I just thought of this, and I'm sure he's not a candidate because we would have heard something. But you don't think Mitch Meyer has any chance, do you? I doubt it. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt it. I, I think Mitch Mitch is fine as you know being on the coaching staff and is, is doing a fine job as, as the first base coach. But I, I, yeah, again, I just don't know. I, I don't see it with the managerial lack of managerial experience so far. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he is either, but I was just thinking, I mean, they did groom him for a number of years to take over for Rusty mm-hmm. and do highly value him, so they definitely, you know, maybe down the road that's something that could happen. Um, I agree with you, though, Jake. It's just something I thought of right now. I thought there's probably a 1% chance that happens. Um, so you think it'll be Matheny then? I guess my other final question, and I know I keep saying one more Royals question, but I keep thinking of more. My next or my last final Royals question would be, how much of this coaching staff gets held over if it's internal? You know, whether it's Grafal or Matheny, uh, I think we both probably agree Cal Eldred, Cal Eldred is not back. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think he, he would be here. Um, as far as the rest of it, I, I, think, I don't think they would make too many changes with the staff, but yeah. I could see Swain, Swain might peace out if he's loyal to Ned and, and feels betrayed about not getting the job. I could see Swain yeah, walking away. Over. And yeah, I, I, again, I, I'm not big on... I know that they've talked a little bit about Steam possibly being yeah, know, I'm not either. But I, I, you know, he already had a chance and it didn't didn't go very well with the Cubs. So I, I'm not not too big on him. Is it a thing where maybe Matheny is the manager and Grafal's the bench coach, or does Matheny bring in his own bench coach then? If you think he's the guy, because I, I feel like Grafal is going to stay in the organization until he gets a managerial gig. Yeah, I think it very well. I, I, I mean, as long as you know Grafal is willing to, you know. As long as he's willing to stay if he's passed over. But, yeah, I, I would say he'd be the bench coach with Matheny. Okay. And then hopefully they bring Jersey back. He's, you know, been with the Royals for so many years. Yep. Or, or reassign him to the front office or make sure. I'm sure they will. Um, who else are we forgetting? Vance Wilson. Love to see him back. Love Vance Wilson. We've had him on the show here. I, I think he'll be a great mm-hmm. major, major league manager someday, by the way. I'm a big believer so, in him. So, so you think maybe there's just only one or two, maybe a new pitching coach and maybe one other coach the majority of people are back next year then for the coaching yeah yeah i think when you're going with an internal candidate i think you have a pretty good chance of having a pretty similar staff i don't think there'll be too many big changes okay and my last question jake that's it for the royals the chiefs now we got to be a bit concerned with all the injuries and and i'm i'm guessing you and i are typically on the same page about sports in general but especially the chiefs i think we both probably agree that, yes, it was a bad loss, but the Patriots lost to the Dolphins last year, and I believe the Jets last year. There were some bad losses during the regular season. This wasn't an awful loss. The Colts are at least you know a 500 team. Um, but the reason they lost, Jake, is everyone got hurt. I think the offensive line got hurt. They couldn't block. No Eric Fisher. Then the defense, you have your two of your best defensive tackles out, and, and Sammy Watkins is activated, and somehow... I don't know what the hell happened during warmups because they said, they said he was going to play and was fine like a half an hour <laughs> before the game. So I don't know what exactly happened there. You didn't have Watkins or Hill and the offensive lines beat up. The defense is beat up and, 
and Hitchens goes out and, and then Mahomes spraining the ankle where he can't, you know, he's okay if the line's horrible because he can get away from it, right? But if he's a pocket passer and they can't block, they're not, they're going to have trouble moving the ball when they don't have all their weapons out there around him. So with all that said, Jake, the, you know, the loss to me wasn't that big of a deal, but if they want home field, they're going to have to go to New England and win now because New England probably loses two games, right? So if we lose two, we have to beat them head to head to have a tiebreaker. So if we want home field, got to beat New England. But the other thing is they can't let this snowball into the next week. So, so Houston Texans, obviously a better team than the Colts, Jake. You got some superstars all over that team from Watson to Hopkins to Watt. You go on and on. I mean, they've got stars everywhere. Your thoughts on this matchup? I'm a little bit concerned on Sunday um, with this game. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm definitely concerned because the offensive line was just atrocious the other night, and you know it's it's not going to be probably much better this weekend. They they've got to figure out a way to run the football. They literally cannot run the football at all right now, which is a problem. So there's a lot of issues again, injuries on the defensive side as well. Um, you know, the good the only advantage I can see is you know Houston really likes to throw the ball. They don't really pound the ball too much, which is the way to beat the Chiefs right now. Although I say that, and then Carlos Hyde will probably get 25 carries on Sunday. But, <laughs> <laughs> but again, they just yeah, the defense cannot stop the run until they can figure something out. That's going to be every team's game plan. Um, I'm interested to see if Houston does it or if they continue their usual aerial attack. But I don't know. I still feel like the Chiefs are going to bounce back and play a better game on Sunday. I, I think I think they'll figure some things out in offense. Also, I think it's a killer win. You know, you have a game plan. You have Sammy Watkins, you know, as your, your top receiver. And then the first play of the game, he's already on the sideline. That really they really messes things up. And then you got to rely on Byron Kringle the whole night as your, your go-to receiver. Wait, Watkins didn't even play a snap, did he? Did he get in one snap? Well, I I don't know if he either. He didn't come out on the field because he ran out of the tunnel, like, as a starter when they announced him and everything. And then I don't know if he came out for the first snap or if he – got injured before he even got the huddle. <laughs> he probably got hurt running on the freaking uh, through the tunnel. I'm not joking, Jake. He probably did. He cuz he was running. Yeah, I, I was there. He was running. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh my goodness. It, it was but I, again, with that loss, it, it's the NFL. I mean, when you have that many injuries and and things going, you know, just going not going your way, you're you're not going to win in this league. The team, the competition's too good. The Colts are a solid team. They had a solid defense and a great game plan and you know you're going to have games like this every once in a while Patriots had several of them last year it turned out just fine for them the the bottom line is this team just you know needs to be firing on all cylinders late in the season and and get healthy how important is that number one seed Jake I mean because they really can't afford to lose more than three games max and they'll have to beat the Patriots head-to-head or they probably are looking at the number two seed no matter what right it's and when you look at New England's schedule this year, too, it's, it's going to be really difficult. They they have a very soft schedule throughout the season. I mean, you play, playing in the AFC East is, is soft schedule for sure. They're going to so, lose two games probably, right? If the Chiefs beat them, yeah. maybe only one. If the Chiefs don't, yeah, I, I'm fully expecting us to have to go into Foxborough in the playoffs this year and beat that and try to beat them, which again is going to be extremely difficult. But I don't know. We'll see where we're at. We'll see how this week goes, and uh, and ho- hopefully we can we can. You know, get back on the winning train this week. Well, we got clubhouse conversation for baseball. Maybe we need to start locker room conversation.com <laughs> and do Chiefs. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, you know, I'm proud of us. We made it exactly. We're about less than a minute away from one hour, Jake. We're going to make this one hour on the nose. That's impressive. So, uh, so we're, we're finally getting it down. That's right. So good work tonight, brother. And uh, why don't we uh, what plan on getting together after the new manager in John Sherman or, or name, maybe in about a month, something like mid-November sound good for our next one? Yep. Yep, that works for me. Talk a little Royals baseball, Ben November, and then come back 
uh, at the start of spring training. Jake Lutz, thanks so much for your time, brother, and uh, go Royals and go Chiefs.